of May 2022 <clears throat> and this time right now is the time for us to train our minds to bring them to a place of peace of respite from all of the sense impressions so when we sit in meditation and we can put our right uh, leg over the left our right hand on our left palm or if we feel more comfortable the other way around with the left um, over the right then that's okay as well and then we set our bodies upright not leaning to the front to the back not leaning to the left or to the right have an upright posture and close the eyes and just in a way that's just right, that's comfortable. And then we establish our mindfulness. Initially with metta, with loving kindness, wishing that all beings be happy. And then we recollect uh, the goodness of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha as well. And we take this to be the focal point of our hearts. And through this, the minds can gain joy. And we offer this practice as homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, this triple gem, which is the highest refuge for us. Then we can come to place our awareness on the in and out breath. We can also use the meditation word with that. So on the in-breath, recite Bud, and on the out-breath, Do. So Bud, Do. The in-breath, Bud, the out-breath, Do. And try to maintain our mindfulness through this. Because it's the nature of our minds that they're always thinking always giving rise to these narratives and proliferation. And that's happened right from the time that we were born. And so we can ask ourselves, well, have we experienced peace since um, our birth? And has that peace happened just by itself? Has it just arisen of its own accord? Because we have this feeling of me and mine, that I am listening or I am seeing, I am smelling, I am tasting, I am touching. All of the thoughts that come up, we take those as being me. And the awareness of those thoughts, we take that as being me as well. So there's always this sense of self there. But we've never experienced peace through that. The, the mind has just has never come to a state of peace all by itself that we become aware of these sensory experiences. And then there's proliferation that happens. The mind gets into liking and disliking towards them. And that's happened for as long as we can remember in this life. Things have gone in this way. Our mindfulness isn't well established. 
uh, clear awareness is incomplete, and so samadhi is just absent, and there's delusion there instead. It's me and mine. And so knowledge through wisdom doesn't arise. So therefore we need to come to train these minds, just like how we train different animals. We train elephants or horses or buffaloes or even monkeys. We can train monkeys to collect coconuts for us or to perform in shows. Horses and elephants, we can, uh, people can put those to work. Uh, buffaloes, we can use them to work in rice paddies. So we don't have to use oil. What we use is this kind of natural um, energy instead. And we see in this present day, in this world, that we're lacking in this resource of energy. And the world is developed, and we get many things very easily, it's very convenient, but that becomes a cause for suffering as well. If this energy is lacking, or if it becomes expensive. So therefore we need to train these minds. And it's normal for us that the mind in its present state, that there can often be a lot of thoughts, this narrative going on, and it's very unsettled. And for many practitioners, as soon as they close their eyes in order to train their minds, that this is what it's like. That the mind feels really hot. It's like it's on fire. And it's like there's this burning in the mind constantly. It's been happening for a long time now. The mind isn't peaceful, it just feels agitated and hot. And we can't even sit in meditation for five minutes because there's so much of this um, chaos going on inside the mind. But if we put in our efforts, however, if we try to train these minds, then they will come to a state of peace. So these thoughts, this proliferation uh, that goes on in the mind, we try to put that down. If thoughts about the past come up, about different things that we've experienced, different sights and sounds and tastes, um, tactile sensations that we have experienced, then we try to put that down. And all thoughts about the future as well, about what will happen tomorrow or the next day, or next week, next month, next year. And we can think about that, but are we aware that those things are not sure? Those things are unreliable. We'll think that we'll get such and such, we'll get certain sights, we'll get certain sounds and um, odors and tastes and tactile sensations. We'll get the things that we like, and tomorrow it'll be like this. But that's not sure. These lives of ours are not sure. And there are many people whose breath will run out before that, that they'll die before that. And so thinking about these things is pointless. So the Buddha taught that we shouldn't um, think, speculate, or think about the past, think about the future. Because that just brings up chaos into the mind. 
So we said that one should not revive the past nor speculate on what's to come. The past is left behind, the future is unrealized. And but rather to have mindfulness here in the present, seeing the arising and ceasing of every state that comes up. And there is where one clearly sees, unmoved, unagitated, and this insight is one's strength. So we should try to maintain that state, this present awareness, having effort, setting our hearts on this, really trying to do this, trying to train our minds so that they become better. Because if we don't do that, then the mind will just always be this way. And when it receives any sensory experience, then it'll fall into liking or disliking towards that. Maybe proliferation that comes up, giving rise to me and mine, me and you, and the mind attaches. But we should see that um, this body, and having been born into this world, this body it gets old, as it grows older and older, then it gets unwell, and as it gets more and more unwell, then eventually it passes away. And if we don't train our minds, then we go through that without receiving any benefit from it. But for us, we have this conditioned body. So we should use that instead to train, to practice, so that value arises for our hearts. We take these khandas, these aggregates, and we use them to develop goodness, to abandon any harmful deeds. So we train our minds in this way, so that they can become well settled. And this brings a lot of benefit to us. This is something that's very skillful. So do we see that for some people, it's very easy for them to be generous. But when it comes to keeping precepts, that's something that's hard. But as they persist with that, then those precepts become easier to keep, and they can keep those five precepts. And next they come to meditate, but that too initially is difficult. And it's hard because they don't see the benefit of it. They don't yet see the harm, the drawbacks in a mind which is still so agitated and unsettled. And they think that actually that mind, that kind of life is comfortable, it's easy. But then an awakened teacher comes along and they give some wisdom to them. They ask them, is that actual comfort? Is it really easy there? <clears throat> These bodies that they're in, they think that they're comfortable because they're not yet old, because they're not yet sick. But when they do become sick, when they get a fever or a headache, or the body starts to decay, and they start to see that. Having skin, then there are diseases of the skin. And having um, a heart, there are diseases of the heart. Having bones, there are diseases of the bones. Whatever organs, whatever parts we have, there are diseases that come up there. Because all of the parts of this body are birthplaces for illnesses. This body is a nest of illnesses. Let me see how different animals, like bees, they have their hives, and um, ants have their nests, birds have their nests. 
And it's true as well for this body, that there are 32 parts to this body, and each of those parts is like a nest for illnesses. Each of the organs is a place for sicknesses to arise. But we have a fondness um, for these bodies, and we attach to them. And so when sickness arises within them, then suffering comes up in our minds. So therefore we need to train these hearts of us so that they gain knowledge before this happens, so that they have wisdom. Like how in this present day there's this COVID virus that's spreading about and people use vaccines to protect themselves from it. And um, if they have that vaccine, if they've taken those shots, then even if they get, um, if they contract this virus, then the symptoms that they receive um, will be, in the most part, reduced. But some people, they have a natural vaccine as well, which is a strong and healthy body. But even though we try to develop this immunity in our bodies, we, for the most part, don't develop immunity for our hearts. And so our hearts don't have that strength to ward off illnesses. So when they receive a sense impression, they just get all stirred up by that, and they experience suffering. And some people, they need this first. They need to rely on the suffering, this noble truth of suffering. It needs to get to the point where they're not able to sleep, they're not able to eat, and they think about so many different kinds of things. Their thoughts just go on and on without end. And they get really upset. And so there's this suffering that comes up, this great suffering, and it's natural for us that when we experience that, that we try to find a way out of it. Just like if we're in a house, but that house has caught fire, and it's hot, and it's just our nature that we're not going to stay there, that we're trying to find an exit, try to find a way out from that heat. So this is talking about it physically, using our bodies, or trying to find an escape route for our bodies. But if we look well, then we'll see that it's like this entire world is on fire. It's burning with the fire of old age, burning with the fire of sickness, burning with the fire of death. And in each day that we stay, we get burnt by this fire. But it's a fire that people can't see. It's like a cool fire. If it was a hot fire, then people would feel it, they'd see it already. But this is a cool fire. It's like the fire of attraction, the fire of delight, or of delusion. It's a fire that we can't see. But if wisdom comes up, if this vipassana jnana comes up, this knowledge that comes through insight arises, then we gain the view that it's like all beings are um, engulfed in flames, the flames of old age, sickness and death. And we're all burning with each passing second and minute and hour and day. And when we gain this 
knowledge, it can affect our hearts very deeply. We see that old age sickness and death is constantly closing in on us, on us, and so we try to find a way out from that. And this is how the Buddha saw it. He saw it clearly, these fires of old age sickness and death, how we need to be separated from all the things that we like, that we love. And even though he had everything that uh, he could want, he needed in his life externally, he asked himself, well, why do I need to be separated from these things as well? He saw that there's birth and there's death. So he also intuited that there needs to be a state which is free from birth and death. And this is the wisdom of the Buddha, that he could realize that. So he sought this path to awakening and found that, was able to awaken by himself, become an arahant, become the fully self-awakened Buddha. And then he had this kindness in his heart to tell and teach others about this path that leads us to true happiness. So at the very least we should put our efforts into that, abandoning any unskillful deeds giving rise to skillfulness, making this mind bright and pure. And we do that in line with the energy that we have. We try to keep the five precepts. If we're living a family life, a household life, it's possible to do this, and it's possible to practice this path to the stage of stream entry. And that requires us really changing our views, this views of self to not-self, and seeing physicality, mentality, as being not-self. We also understand that it's natural for us to receive things in this world, following our merits, following the skillful deeds that we've done, and that we receive gain and praise and status and pleasure. But when we receive that, we should reflect upon it as well, that this is nature, and that these things are also sankharas. They have this nature to arise and cease, arise and cease. That these loka dhammas, these eight worldly winds, they come in pairs. That there's gain, but there's also loss. That there is praise, but there's criticism. That there is status, and there's that loss of status. There's pleasure, and there's pain. And if people have barami, then they'll receive the kind of pleasant side of those loka dhammas. But we should have wisdom around them as well. We should contemplate and see how we're actually receiving these things through the barami of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And if we contemplate on a deeper level, we'll see that they're not self. They're not me, they're not mine. If we contemplate deeper, we'll see that the self is just not there. You see these things as anatta, as not self. And this is Dhamma. This is Lokutara Dhamma. And this... Um, Transcendent Dhamma. He contemplates the body as being four elements. Contemplate these five khandhas. And how there's no true me or mine there. So we should have effort and try to set our hearts on this, on this practice, training our minds in this way. This is something that's important. It gives great benefit to us. It's maha kusala. It's uh, 
a great form of skillfulness. And it's not something that we need to, um, it's not necessary to invest a huge amount in. You can compare it to like having parents who, for them, they were born into quite a difficult situation. But through their efforts, through their forbearance, they were able to raise their status in society until they could create a business for themselves and their business um, becomes quite successful. And then for their children who come afterwards, all they have to do is just follow their parents. They just um, take care of that business following what um, their mother and father advise and following in their footsteps and they're able to get by. They don't need to start up a new business all by themselves. So it's like the Buddha that he created this Buddha Sasana, this Buddhist religion for us and we don't have to create it by ourselves. This noble eightfold path that no one knew about before and the Buddha, through the Bharami that he had created for such a long time, he was able to gain knowledge into that. And then he told us about it. He said, walk this way. Be generous, be virtuous. Keep the five precepts. On some days, keep the eight precepts. And for those who have developed Bharami in the past, they may be able to ordain. This may be a temporary ordination for one month or three months. Or perhaps we keep the eight precepts. Perhaps we ordain as novices. Perhaps we ordain as bhikkhus. And this gives us the opportunity to meditate, to practice. And we get all the support from the laity, from the faith that we have, that they come to offer these requisites for us. So having ordained, we should sincerely practice. In bhavana's meditation, it's the work, the occupation of a monk. And the opportunity that we have now is the best opportunity that we can get. So we should try develop mindfulness. And just like right now, sitting in meditation, this is the time for us to be developing mindfulness. To be making our samadhi well established bringing up effort into this until our minds become still and peaceful, until knowledge arises. Again, this jnana, this knowledge, again, banya, wisdom. Seeing sankharas as being something fearful, how we're going to have to be separated from them, how they have to break apart. It's like a house that's on fire. We're being burnt with this fire of old age, sickness and death. And this can go deep into our hearts, really affect us. You see that in these lives that we have, the things that we like, the things that we love, they're not actually ours. That everything in this world just belongs to the world and we have to leave all of it behind in the world. So realizing that, what we should do is develop skillful deeds, is cultivate merit, and really set our hearts on this practice, give it our best. And some people are 60 years old or over, 
and they've retired already, so they have this opportunity to meditate, to really put this effort into their practice, to do this a lot, to develop it a lot. And even if we're engaged in some work, if we are preparing fruit or selling fruit, for example, or if we're um, working in a fruit orchard, uh, collecting mangosteens or durians or whatever work that we're doing, then we should have mindfulness there. And see that this work is a form of sacrifice for us, and we do it with wisdom as well. That we're using our physical strength to create merit, uh, to uh, be generous. We can also have mindfulness and contemplate while we're doing that. And that some years there's a lot of fruit, and some years there's just a bit of fruit that is produced by that orchard. We also see how we need to take care of those trees, that we water them, we give them fertilizer, we protect them from insects, and then they grow up and they bear fruit. And so the practice is the t same. We take care of this practice. We train our minds like that so that they come into peace. And some people, they have a lot of doubts when they practice. They can ask themselves, well, which meditation object should I use? What will bring me to peace? And they can wonder about this a lot. Reciting Buddha, they try that out, but it doesn't bring peace, so they doubt about it. So they try using metta, bhavana instead, but that doesn't bring up peace, and so they doubt about that, and their minds just become all agitated. And they think, well, this isn't the right path. This, is, this isn't going to give me peace. But even when people who have a lot of doubts experience peace, and they can doubt about that peace as well. What was that peace? What state was that? So it's like we're planting a tree. <laughs> and so we put that tree into the ground. But then in no long time we want to know just how much uh, the roots have grown. So we pull it up from the ground and we take a look at the roots and then we put it back in the ground. And we do that a few times and then the tree dies. And we're not able to eat the fruits that come from it. So for us we should have confidence in the meditation objects that we're using. Whether it's Buddha, Dhammo, Sangho whether it's contemplating all things as being emptiness, using this contemplation to bring about peace. So we do what is suitable for our temperament. We use whatever method works to bring about peace. And if that does work, then we should develop that. We should firmly train ourselves in that. And in no long time we'll experience that peace. So, and then when the mind is in a peaceful state, we can contemplate and gain an understanding into nature, seeing all things as being anicca, dukkha, anatta, as being inconstant and stressful and not self, and we can see that clearly. In every day that passes, we should spend some time sitting in meditation, because all throughout the day, we're, the mind is giving rise to me and mine, and it's not in a state of samadhi, and wisdom hasn't arisen. 
is this me and mine that's coming up? But we can ask ourselves, is it actually me? These things actually mine? And they're not. And the state, the true nature of the Dharma can appear here. And when we see people, it's like they're not people. It's like we just see robots or puppets walking about. But they're not people, they're not beings, they're not selves or individual, they're not a me or a you. And here is where the mind turns bright, here is where we see the Dhamma. So we should train ourselves in this, because this is something that, that actually belongs to us. It's an inner wealth. You see, with external wealth, the houses, the various possessions that we have, they are subject to being destroyed by fires and earthquakes and floods. And that they don't stay with us forever, that they need to break apart. Or perhaps this destruction is caused by human means, that it's people who break them. But whatever the case, these things are not sure. They don't stay forever. These are things that are temporary things, because they're things that exist in the world. And so being in the world, they're subject to fires and floods and volcanoes in this world. They're subject to breaking. So that's talking about external things. When talking about internal things, we talk about this body. And we see these bodies now as being strong, beautiful and young. But that's not sure. So we should try to give rise to this wisdom which solves all of the suffering in our hearts. Which, and so we can gain a refuge for ourselves and we can see the Dhamma.